0: How do you fast your way to genius? This is a question we get a lot on Twitter and our private Facebook group. People talk about everything from diet to intermittent fasting to the genius foods, what are really the keys. And so that's going to be the topic of this episode. And I am here with a real master of this subject. It's Max Lugervere. And he is the New York Times bestselling author of a book I mentioned on my social media called Genius Foods. Congratulations on that, Max. Thanks for being here. Thanks so much, Jim. It's an honor to be here. This is really fun. Now I have to say, like when I got here, I've never ever had somebody went right before an interview saying, hey, do you want to take some supplements? What did you feed me? What did you give me here? (laughs) First of all, I gave you a little bit of phospholipid DHA,
1: Mm. which is the membrane equivalent of DHA that your brain uses to create healthy cell membranes, which is really important because You know, I'm sure you've talked about neurotransmitters on the show in the past, but our cell membranes really create all the receptors that act like the ears for our brain cells, right? So when we talk about neurotransmitters like serotonin, dopamine, these are neurotransmitters involved in mood, in executive function, in learning and attention and memory and things like that. We really rely on the proper functioning of these neuronal cell membranes to allow the neurotransmitters, the messengers of each brain cell, really, to uh, do their job. So... What I gave you was phospholipid DHA. So DHA, which is the most important and abundant structural building block in the brain, is held in place in brain cell membranes by what are called phospholipids. So I basically gave you a whole bunch of phospholipid DHA. Your brain's just going to suck it up, which is amazing. And then on top of that, I gave you one of my favorite carotenoid compounds called astaxanthin. Now, astaxanthin is a carotenoid. You've probably heard of beta-carotene. Maybe you've heard of lutein and zeaxanthin. I talk about these two in my book quite a bit. But astaxanthin is a unique marine carotenoid. It's found exclusively in foods like wild salmon. One of the reasons why wild salmon is just so good for you, well-documented to promote long-term cognitive health and optimal brain function. It's also what gives lobster that red color. Shrimp, it's red color. Crab, it's red color. And it's been shown to by up to 90% activate a gene pathway called the FOXO3 gene pathway, which is responsible for longevity. People that have a gene variant that allows for a more active version of this protein have double the odds of living to 100. People with two copies have triple the odds of living to 100. You can activate this gene pathway by consuming astaxanthin. Mm. It's also been shown to protect your eyes against macular degeneration, aging, things like that. It's been shown to promote neuroplasticity of the brain, super important. So, I mean, for somebody who is such a high performer already, but I know that learning and attention and memory is so important to you, I just had to give you
0: those two brain-boosting supplements. I appreciate that. So the conversation we're having here is we're talking about fasting, but before we talk about fasting and the power of fasting to genius, I want to talk about really quickly, give people a quick review of some of the genius foods. Yeah. Right? So what are people actually eating out of your book?
1: Yeah. So in my book, I talk about... The what's and the why's and the how's. But the foods, what it really all comes down to, because we've co-evolved with food, really, not Mm -hmm. single nutrients, are avocados. They have the highest concentration of fat-protecting antioxidants of any fruit or vegetable. So literally, you're eating an avocado. It looks like a bomb. It's like dropping a bomb on oxidative stress and inflammation. It's full of carotenoids that boost brain processing speed. We've also got dark leafy greens. Research out of Rush University shows that if we eat a large bowl of dark leafy greens every single day, we're going to have brains that look up to 11 years younger. So in terms of preventing cognitive aging, brain aging, things like that, dark leafy greens are a must. They're full of micronutrients, dietary fiber, so important. I talk a lot about eggs. When an embryo is developing, the nervous system is the first structure to assemble, and that includes the brain. So an egg yolk is literally nature's multivitamin containing all of the ingredients required to grow a healthy brain. We've got grass-fed beef. Now, this might be a little bit more on the controversial side, but we've evolved by eating the readily available fats and nutrients and calories contained in land animals. So even though the food system today has become so industrialized, I take the stance in my book that grass-fed, ideally organic, but definitely grass-fed red meat is a brain health food. Contains a compound called creatine that when vegans and vegetarians supplemented with it, they had an increase in brain processing speed and the like. So definitely a big fan. I talk about extra virgin olive oil. So, you know, these days people are talking about fat is back, right? Butter, coconut oil. What are the right kinds of fats that we need to really support optimal brain function? The most robust body of evidence really stands in favor of extra virgin olive oil as that oil. We look at population level evidence. It's the kind of oil that they're consuming in the Mediterranean. They're cooking food in it. They're using it as a sauce. But also we can look to randomized control trials, which are the kinds of trials required to really prove cause and effect. And we can see that consuming up to a liter a week of extra virgin olive oil, can boost cognition, can boost cardiovascular health, which the brain relies on, of course, because the brain is fed blood and nutrients by a network of microvessels, and also maybe even help you lose weight. I talk about blueberries, brain berries, as you call them. Research shows that they're associated with reduced brain aging by up to two and a half years. They're full of anthocyanins. When talking about blueberries in particular, that actually accumulate in the brain's memory center to help it shield off and fend you know, against oxidative stress and aging and things like that. Man, I talk about wild salmon. Yeah, wild salmon is amazing, provides those building blocks that we need. And again, astaxanthin, which we talked about, really powerful brain-boosting compound. There's a really good link between fish consumption and reduced risk of Parkinson's disease. They found this unique protein found in seafood that helps guard against that, which is the second most common neurodegenerative disorder, very important stuff. I talk about cruciferous vegetables. Today, people are obsessed with detox teas and things like that. But really, when you eat cruciferous vegetables, you're supplying your body not only the raw materials for its own detox pathways, but you're providing the stimulus so that your liver will actually detox. Mm. So you don't need to really, you know, spend $50 on a bag of detox tea or whatever, just go to the supermarket and buy some organic broccoli. You get that sulforaphane, which is a potent activator of pathways like the NRF2 pathway. Super, super cool stuff. I think everyone's favorite is dark chocolate. Dark chocolate, yeah. Dark chocolate cocoa flavanols. People that habitually consume chocolate have better memories. You really just want to make sure that you're reaching for 85% or higher. First of all, dark chocolate has half the sugar of milk chocolate. So milk chocolate is basically candy. Dark chocolate provides flavanols that have been shown to boost cognitive function, enhance blood flow to the brain. Yeah, the
0: research is pretty robust there. So, I mean, that's something that I feel like everybody's going to be pretty happy about. Yeah, and this is great because, you know, for a lot of these, for people of these, they could take this and put it into a blender and make a brain power smoothie, except for the wild salmon and the sardines. And yeah, you don't want to put that the in the smoothie.
1: Grass-fed beef. probably Nuts. Nuts are really important. Almonds are great. They're a top source of vitamin E, multiple kinds of vitamin E. So there's not just one type of vitamin E. Like vitamin C, it's ascorbic acid. There's really one type of vitamin C. Vitamin E has many different types. And when you're eating whole food sources of vitamin E, like almonds, like avocados, like grass-fed beef, things Mm -hmm. like that, you're getting all of them. So it's better than any supplement.
0: Yeah, very neuroprotective. Yeah, totally. I like that because when we're talking about foods, that's one of the things we talk about. We talked about supplements and in other episodes and we did a whole episode on how to memorize your grocery list so you can be brain friendly that way also as well. But with the food you eat matters, especially to your gray matter. Totally. I love that saying it's so important.
1: I think there's so much synergy in our work. Like yeah. I think this is such a perfect, you know, jam session because we can have our memories working well in accordance with you know what we know about learning and all mm-hmm. of the research and insight that you share and that you do such a wonderful job promoting but if we don't have that like underlying architecture yeah. running up to speed and we're not supplying our brains with the appropriate building blocks to continue mm-hmm. to grow healthy new brain cells throughout life then
0: we're handicapping ourselves in serious ways and that's why you know we teach soft systems like how to read faster how to read a book or how to learn a language or how to give a presentation without notes and how to focus but if somebody has they're deficient in DHA or something like that, it could definitely play. So it's like the soft systems like the software and taking care of the hardware is important also as well. And that's why with these results, it's like really a whole brain or a whole self way to learning into life. Totally. So you have stress management. You know, you talk about sleep in your book. So now that we know the foods to eat, the genius foods, we know what to eat. Let's talk about when to eat. Hmm. And this gets us into different times of the day. You don't want to eat too late, you know, before you go to sleep. And then there's a lot of talk about intermittent fasting, you know, when it comes to cognitive performance. Yeah. What's the research show there? Yeah. So basically, you know, to me what intermittent fasting is all about, it's getting back
1: to that balance between being in a fed and fasted state, which we certainly, you know, we didn't evolve with supermarkets on every corner. We didn't evolve with the ability to summon our every meal with a, just a few swipes on a smartphone, right? So today we're chronically eating. From sunup to sundown, your average person eats from eight in the morning until eight at night. And what we've lost is a critical balance between a body being in an anabolic state and a catabolic state. Anabolic is building up growth. Catabolic is really breaking down and making use of stored fuels that the body has basically stockpiled for future use. Unfortunately, today, we're never able to access those fuels just because we're chronically eating. And many of those fuels, and specifically fat, The brain loves to use. In fact, a leading Alzheimer's researcher, Sam Henderson, opined that one of the most deleterious aspects of the modern diet is that it basically prevents the brain from using ketones as fuel. And ketones are a byproduct of fat metabolism. So when it comes to intermittent fasting, what I like to do, how I like to practice this, because if you were to find a hunter-gatherer and talk to them about intermittent fasting, they would have no idea what you were talking about. To me, what makes the most sense from an evolutionary standpoint is to not eat for a few hours, an hour, maybe two, maybe three, after you wake up, and to not eat for two to three hours before you go to sleep. So what this does is it essentially extends the window that you already spend fasting every single night. That is when you sleep, right? That's why breakfast is called breakfast, because it's the meal of the day that you break the fast. And for me, it's just about extending that window. This has a twofold effect. For one, in the morning, what it does is it makes use of the fact that our body's cortisol levels are the highest they're going to be throughout the day. Cortisol is the body's chief catabolic hormone. So when cortisol is elevated, what it is, it's like the perfect fat-burning window. When you're first getting up in the morning, cortisol spikes. That's actually what gets you out of bed. And it's helping liberate stored sugar from your liver. So you're helping to deplete liver glycogen, which provides you a buffer for when you do finally want to start eating and you consume a little bit extra carbohydrates, you actually have a place to put those carbs as opposed to in your fat tissue, right? It also helps to liberate stored fats. And this is because, you know, cortisol, it's our body's waking hormone, but it's also the body's chief stress hormone. So it becomes sharply elevated when you are having a stress response. And for the vast majority of our evolution, a stress response was stimulated by something that, you know, is sort of a life or death situation, right? And so cortisol would become elevated. And really one of the things that cortisol does is it allows for the availability of these fuels to really help supply the energy so you can run out of harm's way. So, in the morning, that becomes elevated every single day, and it 's a fat burning you know hormone essentially so rather than screw that up by eating and particularly by eating what breakfast typically is in America, which is you know that bran muffin or that bowl of cereal or oats or that glass of orange juice which contains about six teaspoons of pure sugar i 'm allowing my body to burn off the stored fuels i 'm allowing my liver to tap into the stored sugar known as glycogen i 'm allowing you know, those fats to be liberated from my adipose tissue so that my brain can burn them as a fuel source, which actually also acts like a signaling mechanism. Again, these are ketones, not only provide sort of like a clean burning fuel to the brain, akin to electricity in a Prius as opposed to gasoline, but ketones act like a signaling molecule. So they turn on all these proteins that are involved in neuroplasticity, neurogenesis, BDNF is one of them, brain-derived neurotrophic factor. And then by around 11, maybe noon every day, that's when I'll have my first meal. Usually I try to eat about two, maybe three meals a day. And I'll try to curtail my eating by about 8 or 9 p.m. And I don't obsess over these windows, you know, if I end up at a social occasion. Because don't forget, you know, a lot of people can get really neurotic about these hours and I can relate to this because when I was in college, I was so obsessed with nutrition and health that I wouldn't go to a lot of social outings because, you know, for example, if I wasn't sure that a restaurant would have super healthy food, I wouldn't go. But at the end of the day, social interaction is such a major aspect of feeling connected and optimal brain function, having an optimal health span and ultimately lifespan that it's not a big deal if you're not super rigid with these hours, but it provides a good, I think, framework, a good guideline. So in the evening, I'm trying not to eat for two to three hours before I go to sleep because we now know, thanks to a newly discovered system called the glymphatic system, that our brain is actually cleaning itself while we sleep. And so it's believed that causing an elevation of insulin, which is the body's chief anabolic hormone, during that period might interfere. This is a newly discovered system, so it's somewhat speculative, but... You know, the breaking down of these plaques and these proteins that accumulate over the course of the day, that's a catabolic process. And so by causing insulin to become elevated, which is stimulated by carbohydrate consumption, so when we eat, you know, desserts and things like that, that doesn't seem to make a lot of sense from an evolutionary standpoint to have insulin and have this catabolic process going on in the brain at the same time. So for me, it's about, yeah, just simply padding sleep with two to three hours on each side of not eating. That to me is what intermittent fasting
0: is really all about. I love that. And what you're talking about social, we talk about how it's not your health and your performance. is not just based on your biological networks or or cognitive networks. It's also your social networks. Yeah. You know, your diet is highly influenced by the people you spend time with and also isolation. They say that the feeling of loneliness could actually increase dementia, what's like 65%? Yeah. And so connectedness is so important. It's not just the food you eat, but it's what's feeding your soul also. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, especially for somebody like me, who's just
1: such a nutrition nerd, I'm so obsessed, it becomes easy to sort of lose sight over all of the other things that play just as much of a role in terms of our health, feeling connected with one another. You know, exercise obviously plays a huge role, but just getting back to loneliness, they found that loneliness actually can have an epigenetic effect on your gene expression. The link between depression and poor diet has been known. The link between depression and dementia is pretty well established at this point. So I think yeah, we really do need to, you know, reach out and be connected. I think social media does somewhat of a good role there, but I think at the end of the day, it's about really connecting with people in person too. I mean, that's really how we evolve. You could have the best meal ever with no conversation or boring conversation and it's not really that good of a meal whereas you can have a street hot dog, not that I'm endorsing eating street hot dogs, <laughs> but with the most interesting person ever. And suddenly that meal becomes exalted to best meal ever status. So it's really important, I think, to become mindful of all these things. But just getting back to fasting, you know, the research on fasting is really compelling these days. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a number of researchers that are studying this, Walter Longo, Sachin Panda. But I think really what it comes down to is the fact that we didn't evolve with food constantly around. And so from a brain perspective, from a cognitive performance perspective, it wouldn't make more sense if you got less sharp the minute food ceases to be around right you actually become more clever you become sharper when food ceases to be around it basically stokes a stress response in your body certain neurotransmitters become elevated it was recently discovered that orexin a becomes sharply elevated during periods of intermittent fasting and this is a neurotransmitter involved in alertness there was a really great study that found that we tend to make more advantageous gut level decisions when we're fasted, so I mean, just in terms of practical applications, if you're listening to this podcast and you want to, you know, use fasting to your cognitive advantage, I always sort of try to stack my most important meetings, like really left brain sort of stuff, earlier in the day, so that I could take those meetings and be on those calls in a fasted state, because I know that I'm going to be more alert, and I found that that really sort of helps from a cognitive performance standpoint. We love it, Max. So, people who are hungry for more, where can they go? Yeah. So definitely check me out on uh, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. I'm at Max Lugavere across the board. And then you can go to GeniusFoodsBook.com to uh, download a free sample chapter of my book. You can buy the book. It's available everywhere books are sold. And yeah, just connect with me. Say hi. Sounds great. Thanks for having me, Jim.
0: Want to double your brain speed and memory power? If you'd like to learn rapidly and get ahead faster, I'd like to give you my brand new Quick Brain Accelerator program. You will discover exactly what I teach my clients to learn, read, and remember anything in half the time. There is no charge. It's my gift to you for being one of our subscribers. That's kwikbrain.com. Or simply text the word podcast to 916-822-7246 and we'll send you a direct link. And finally, the T stands for teach. You want to learn faster now? The key is to lock it in right away by teaching it to someone else. When you teach something, you get to learn it twice. Here's a simple way to do that. Leave a review on iTunes. Leave a review with your biggest takeaway from this episode. You could also post and share this podcast on your social media. It helps us spread our mission of building better, brighter brains. And of course, tag us so our team can properly thank you. Hashtag QuickBrain, K-W-I-K Brain. Mine is at Jim Quick, K-W-I-K, on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. So what does FAST stand for? Facebook, apply, subscribe, teach. I'll see you in our next episode of Quick Brain. Until then, remember, you are faster and smarter than you think.